All right, Mark is there on the open line just before we go to David Shoebridge. G'day, Mark. Yeah, g'day, Marcus. Uh, Hi, mate. I, I was just uh, calling. Uh, I heard on the promo over the weekend you uh, talking about cost-benefit analysis with uh, David Shoebridge uh, last week. Yeah. With cost-benefit analysis, it would be really good to see um, perhaps a, a, a cost-benefit analysis done by or done on, um, say, renewables and coal-fired power stations. And perhaps you could get David Shoebridge to do one and uh, Malcolm Roberts to do one. All right. Well, I'll take that <laughs> on board. In fact, I've got David Shoebridge on the line. G'day, David. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, Marcus. How are things? Yeah, good. Uh, uh, Mark just called. I don't know whether you, you heard all of that, but uh, he wants some cost-benefit analysis on renewables done. Yeah, 100%. And in fact, um, if you do that and you have a look at what the cheapest kilowatt hour of power is, reliable kilowatt hour of power is, um, new solar and new wind comes in at a fraction of the cost of any kind of new coal um, or any kind of, uh, you know, a, a tiny fraction of the cost of nuclear. Right. Like, it's th- literally been done. And, um, and, and, and that's why no private corporation is willing to spend a dollar on a coal-fired power station or a gas-fired power station or a nuclear-fired pa- or a nuclear power station because they've done the analysis and it just makes zero economic sense. Put into one side all the environmental damage. There you go. Uh, that answers Mark's question. All right, mate. Thank you for that. That was one without notice, and you handled it very well. Um, another one without notice, but I know you were there on Friday uh, at the questioning of the police commissioner, the outgoing commissioner. I think he's going very soon into retirement. Uh, and also David Elliott, a friend of our program, was there over the uh, the handling of the arrest of Christo Lanka by the Fixated mm. Persons Unit. I watched it all back over the weekend. I have to say, um, evasive comes to mind and kind of a little muddled up in their responses also comes to mind. I mean, a lot of questions were taken on notice and we're still no closer to finding out whether or not the former Deputy Premier John Barillaro made a phone call to mates in the police force or whomever uh, to have a, a young producer, a young journalist arrested quite violently, I will add, by the fixation, fixated persons unit. Yeah, we got a tiny bit closer. I mean, we got uh, confirmation that the notification, that, that the immediate notification to the police came out of Premier and Cabinet. But then I asked who specifically, you know, who was the person who did it? Um, and, and we got a name, and I won't repeat the name now because it's not a prominent politician. But no. the, the question is, um, who, on whose instruction was that information given? And, you know, you would have thought that that being such a prominent matter, such a clear clear concern in the community, you would have thought that they would have come armed with those answers. But, of course, as you say, everything was taken on notice. I, I think that the bit of that exchange that troubled me the most was that the fact that police have decided to use a charge of intimidation um, against Chris Olenka and intimidation is, is normally considered a very real kind of physical, overt um, threat to somebody. Uh, you know, it's a high level um, of, you know, of, of aggressive, um, uh, overbearing behaviour that puts somebody in real physical fear of themselves. You know, they have real fear about their physical safety. And, and they, have, they, they are laying this charge against Chris Olenka. Um, and... Uh, we asked them, well, on what basis? You know, what's the information you have? What is it that, you know, you say that this 
very slightly built person who only twice came anywhere near um, the deputy premier could possibly be up on a charge of intimidation. But and, on and we both got a very... occasions, sorry to interrupt you, David. On both occasions, first the first one at a uh, at a, an event that was being um, where John Barillaro at a university he was a guest. Um, I would argue the intimidation went the other way. I mean, journalists uh, are allowed to question um, politicians. That's the way our system works. And uh, John Barillaro's minders on that day were actually, I would argue, far more intimidating than what uh, Christo Lanker was and certainly Jordan Shanks was. And on the second occasion... It's not as if Mr. Barillaro was by himself. He was with his, uh, with his uh, government contracted driver. And again, it was just for the young producer to ask and query about some paperwork, considering they hadn't heard from the deputy premier of the time in relation to him suing them. I mean, the whole thing, there are still so many unanswered questions, David. I'm concerned about it, and I know that fellow journalists made some minor concern about it as well, because we don't want to find ourselves with a you know, knock at the door from the fixation persons unit because we've dared to challenge or quiz or criticise the government. Yeah, well, if hard questioning is, is what amounts to intimidation, well, then we're, we're in a whole world of pain if the police are going to start charging people with hard, hard questioning. Not least myself, I might add, but... The, um, but more, more, what, what, what the police then seemed to be saying was, oh, well, they're also having a look at um, the social media feed and social media comments and trying to pull together every social media comment that they have um, done by Chris Lanker and done by others and add that to whatever happened on the day to try and cook up an intimidation case. And I've got to say, if, if that's where the law is going and if that's where the police are going, well, then there is a there, there will be a chilling effect on robust um, robust commentary and robust questioning of politicians. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I actually think we need more robust questioning of politicians, not less. And you know, the courts will decide this particular case. Um, I have certain views about it. I won't tell you my for, final concluded view on it because you know I don't want to prejudge the court case. But I can tell you my view about the police and their investigation and their attitude, and it's, it's downright dangerous for democracy. Well, I agree uh, entirely. Uh, you're right. This is now uh, uh, before a court. But again, uh, you know, as a journalist, I, I feel, uh, and it's not just me, there was someone on Sky News, there were others who have, you know, quite publicly questioned the use of what is an anti-terror unit uh, to arrest a young journalist uh, producer at his home uh, simply because he was trying to ask the Deputy Premier a question. And we did, we, 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 in a line of questioning a couple of months ago, we did get the concession, a very grudging concession, that there was a, there was a significant problem in the process and that, in fact, the fixated persons unit, basically the anti, this anti, small anti-terror squad, should not have been um, involved in this case. But um, then the police said, oh, but nevertheless, we would have charged him anyhow. Now, I just, that, that the whole sorry tale um, yeah. needs to be unravelled. All right, let's move on to a couple of other issues. I'll finish with uh, Mr. Perrottet and ICAC. But first, uh, COP26, the target. Scott Morrison has done pretty much everything he can to prevent global action. He sided with Saudi Arabia and Russia to stop any binding commitment on keeping coal, oil and gas in the ground and is basically refusing to agree on an effective 2030 target. I mean, they're much more important, I would have thought, than 2050 targets. Yeah, well, 2030 targets. Well, first of all, we're, we're in a significant emergency. I mean, we've had 
catastrophic fires here, um, that which which we all the experts say, the people fighting the fires say, um, are, are fundamentally connected with climate change. That's just going to get worse unless we address climate change. We've also seen those catastrophic fires in North America. We've seen terrible, um, um, you know, uh, terrible, terrible droughts. Yeah. Uh, what we are seeing is already we're seeing the impacts of climate change. And, and unless we take action by 2030, uh, we are going to be down, going down a very, very dangerous spiral with our climate. So 2030 targets are crucial, but more important than equally important as, as the, the environmental necessity of it is 2030 targets are things we can hold politicians to account for. Well, that's like, right. Scott Morrison's going to be in some private air-conditioned nursing home by the time we get, we get to 2050. We won't be hold, able to hold him to account for failing on 2050 targets, but we can hold the next government to account on 2030 targets. And, and really, we need political accountability because this is like genuinely challenging our ability to, to survive as a, anything like the society we are now. And um, that's the urgency and the thought. I don't know. I think most Australians would be offended at the idea that we go into a major international um, uh, climate climate event and our, our allies are Saudi Arabia and Russia. I mean, that should send the warning bells off to everybody in this country. All right. Uh, Dominic Perrottet, nice little piece in the paper today about, uh, you know, being a family man, and, and that's all fine. So we're seeing the good side of the new Premier and, and what he's about, and, you know, family is important, I understand all of that, but so is accountability when it comes to sitting behind and, you know, taking charge of the, the budget and the Treasury benches. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I find it a little hard to believe uh, that the new Premier has a newfound opposition to pork barrelling. I mean, wasn't he Treasurer and didn't he sign off on all of this pork barrelling before? So should we take him at his word now, David? Or I almost choked on my morning toast this morning, um, making it for the family, as we all do. You know, you get up in the morning, you, you, you get the spread going. And, and uh, I, think it's, um, I think it's good to see um, uh, politicians talking about having to get the balance right between family and work. You know, it's, it's actually really hard. And, um, and uh, you know, so all strength to Dominic Perrottet for, for, for doing that. But the idea that the bloke who's been treasurer for four years, um, you know, who signed off on wads of cash going on the Wagga Wagga by-election, who signed off on every pork barrel scheme that's come through the, um, the expenditure review committee, which he chairs, is suddenly offended by pork barrelling and suddenly thinks it's wrong. I mean, it's as though it, it's this, it's this, you know, it's this post-fact politics that we have. The guy can just pretend the last four years didn't exist and he wasn't the treasurer and he doesn't like pork barrelling. I mean, he should own it, accept that it was wrong, accept that he had a key part in it and be willing to change it going forward. And I've, I've got an opportunity for him when Parliament returns. I've got some legislation we're going to bring to Parliament to actually outlaw pork barrelling. So let's hope he owns what he did in the past, and let's hope he joins with us and outlaws it when Parliament returns. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> good <laughs> well, luck with yeah, that, mate. And but try, Marcus. All right. Uh, good to have you on, as always, David. Uh, d- today, of course, um, just before you go... Uh, it- it might not be as gruelling for Gladys. Uh, she will get to have a, a cross-examination by her her own legal counsel. That'll be a part of today's proceedings as well. Um, are there other people out there that should be a little worried today, do you think? Well, I mean, now is the chance of uh, Gladys Berejiklian to tell her story about, you know, um, what, where, why and how. Um, 
I was talking to some colleagues just yesterday and they said, well, perhaps one of Gladys Berejiklian's best defences about um, how there was nothing special about what happened in Wagga Wagga, about putting money contrary to all of the bureaucrats' recommendations and sending it off, you know, left, right and centre, is that there are 50 other projects that she can point to where she did exactly the same, not least mm-hmm. the stadium uh, <laughs> rebuild. Yeah. So I think it will be fascinating to hear what... Um, what 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 the what Gladys Berejiklian's defence is? Um, maybe it's that there was nothing special about Wagga. They had this kind of terrible decision making across the government. Um, maybe it'll be something else. But uh, I think everybody will be listening carefully. Um, I'll be in budget estimates, of course, um, trying to do what I can to hold the government to account in budget estimates while that's happening. But. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of people holding their breath today, Marcus. Sounds good. All right, we'll catch up again. Uh, maybe a little later this week, uh, once ICAC is, is finished. We won't know, uh, of course, the outcome of their findings for another couple of months, but but still, it'll be interesting nonetheless. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Yeah, good speaking. All right, there he is, David Shoebridge, Greens MP. And uh, look, our hashtag corruption warrior. Uh, as I said last week, and I don't shy away from it, One of the main reasons I speak to that man on this program at length very often is because he is probably the one politician in the state of New South Wales that is able to ask all of the tough questions. I mean, I speak to David at length because, I mean, I can't get Dom Perrottet on the program. I can't get other MPs who won't face the music, if you like. Difficult questions from me, but at least David has the capability of of asking these questions, whether on the floor of Parliament or, of course, in, in estimates and committee meetings and all the rest of it.